You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest today has very possibly done more archival research on Abraham Lincoln than anyone else ever. He's the Sadowski Professor of History Emeritus at Connecticut College, the author of The Inner World of Abraham Lincoln, editor of numerous volumes of primary source material by Lincoln's contemporaries, and he is at work on a monumental Lincoln biography to be published by Johns Hopkins University Press. Michael Burlingame will be our guest today. Please join us on Civil War Talk Radio. Hi, Tom Bodette from Motel 6 with a word for business travelers. Seems business has its own language these days, full of buzzwords like buzzword or net-net. And after a day spent whiteboarding a matrix of action items and deliverables, it's nice to know you can always outsource your accommodation needs to the nearest Motel 6. You'll get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price, net-net, of any national chain, plus data ports and free local calls. In case you tabled your discussion and need to reconvene offline. So you can think of Motel 6 as your total business travel solution provider, vis-a-vis cost-effective lodging alternatives for Q1 through Q4, I think. Just call 1-800-4-MOTEL-6 or visit motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll maintain the lighting device in its current state of illumination for you. Motel 6 and a core hotel. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, on a beautiful, gloriously crisp and cool fall day in 2006. Starting every show, as always, with the legal reminder that only I am responsible, not East Carolina or the Department of History, none of whom are around today because the chair is giving a seminar paper at this very moment while I'm here doing this show. It's a good thing the tenure vote was last month. And uh, so they are not responsible. No one is responsible, just me and my guest for his or her own comments each week, as always. And also, in housekeeping, a reminder that if you do find the program interesting and enjoyable, feel free to go to the web page and click the Donate button. Go to PayPal, send a few dollars to the book fund of Civil War Talk Radio, and I can buy more books and read more interesting things and get more interesting guests to come and talk with us. I could not possibly buy all the books edited or written by our guest today, however, Uh, without substantial donations from everybody, because he has written so much about Abraham Lincoln. Our guest is Michael Burlingame. Michael, are you there today? I am indeed. There you are. Good Good to hear from you. Uh, I I hardly know where to begin because we have such a giant subject we can uh, cover uh, in today's program. Uh, Anything about Lincoln will do, but 
Let me start by asking you a question that in all the years you and I have known each other, I've never really talked to you about. Uh, how did you get started in your interest in history, or Lincoln specifically? Well, I had uh, a charismatic teacher, as you did as well, when I was a college freshman, David Herbert Donald. Ah, yes. And I took his Civil War course. I was the only freshman to do so, and was also in his small class discussion groups called Preceptorials at Princeton, and uh, was quite uh, taken by his lectures and his class discussions. And uh, if he had been a medieval historian, I might be a medieval historian today myself. Well, he, he certainly has that effect on people. He uh, uh, And he is still writing, I, I understand. He's still working on, on new things. I understand that he's doing a biography of John Quincy Adams. Ah, so he's moving. More power to him. Absolutely. Well, with all... I was writing down questions today, trying to think of what what would be a good way to talk, what would be interesting to talk about. And I thought, well, let's just skip all the stuff that's interesting to the listeners. I'll start with something I'm curious about, <laughs> uh, with some intense detail questions. Actually, I'm, uh, you and I talked when we met in uh, at Galesburg back in September uh, at Knox College, and I mentioned I was working on a, uh, a short book of, of questions and answers about Abraham Lincoln. Right. And so whenever I come up with some little detail point where I can't find something, I make a little note, put it aside, and say, don't forget to ask Michael Burlingame this because he has read <laughs> everything. So here's one. Lincoln had a brother, uh, Tom, who died in infancy. Right. And we know almost nothing about him. That's correct. Do Is there any firm information, for example, on where Thomas Lincoln Jr. is buried? Uh, it's not firm, but there's a tradition that it's on uh, Muldraw Hill um, in Kentucky, uh, near where uh, the Lincolns lived. Um, and uh, just before they departed for Indiana uh, in 1816, they purportedly, the family visited the grave of uh, Lincoln's infant brother. But that's a that's a tradition. That's that's not well established fact. So nothing is marked anywhere. Right. That, that we know of. It's in, not, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. And not, I'm not either. Um, I also heard somewhere, and I don't know if you were the one who related it or someone else, that there's some, again, oral tradition of Lincoln talking about playing with his baby brother or giving him a nickname. That I'm not familiar with. Okay. It wasn't from you. I'll never, I'll, I'll track down one day where I heard that, that he would... Well, let me know when you find out. I certainly will. It's inconsistent with everything else we know about Thomas Lincoln, that, that he only lived uh, a very short time. That's, uh, that's what I've understood. But, but nobody knows more than that. Well, we'll track that I'm down. Aware. Here's another intensely detailed question that, that you might know. Um, again, dealing with Lincoln's youth, he had a playmate named Austin Gallagher, I guess you say it. That's, I believe that's the pronunciation, yes. There's a, a, a great story, which, uh, having no sense of good taste, I, I plan to relate in my book <laughs> about uh, uh, Lincoln and Gallagher as, as boys, which involves, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll not discuss it in detail, the soiling of headgear, let's say. <laughs> that's um, a very tactful way of putting it. Tactful way of putting it. Uh, it's, I know in uh, Lincoln's uh, in the the Herndon archive, there's a this story is told uh, third hand 
someone who heard it from Gallagher, I think, tells it to Herndon. Right. But Gallagher visited Lincoln in the White House, did he not? Mm, that, I don't think so. Uh, we up? have a story about somebody who knew Gallagher who visited him. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So Gallagher himself would not have done that. No. Well, those are, those are some truly obscure questions, and, and I'm not... They, they've been on my mind, and I'm, I'm glad to get them off the list. I can check them both <laughs> off now. Um, because if if you don't have a ready answer for them, then I'm guaranteed none of my readers will have <laughs> uh, have any more problems. Well, let me turn it around and ask you, in terms of questions, um, what when you go out talking about Lincoln or just socializing with people and they, they know what you do or they find out what you do. What do people typically ask you about Abraham Lincoln? Well, uh, one of the things that uh, I've written extensively about and that has proved pretty controversial is Lincoln's marriage. Uh, people want to know about what it was like. And I say, well, everything you've heard about Mary Todd Lincoln and how difficult and impossible and ornery she was is inaccurate. She was worse. That is to say that she physically abused him, that she humiliated him in public, that as first lady she accepted bribes and kickbacks, padded pay, payrolls and expense accounts, uh, engaged in pardon brokering, and in general made life very difficult for Lincoln. And he tells one of his good friends, Orville Browning, that while he was president, he was constantly worried that she would do something to humiliate him. So uh, you, you can go ahead and say how you really feel about Mary. If you want. <laughs> but, uh... Well, how I feel is this, that the Almighty ladles out a fair amount of misery on all of our plates, but her portion was particularly heaping. She didn't ask to have her mother die when she was six. She didn't ask to have her father remarry a much younger woman uh, shortly thereafter, who then was played the role of the wicked stepmother, didn't want much to do with Mary or her siblings. She didn't ask to have three of her four children die before they reached adulthood. She didn't ask to have her husband murdered at her side at the peak of his power and influence. So that's, a, that's an awful lot of misery to be heaped on anyone's plate. So I think she's more to be pitied than censured. However, she did behave very badly, and we shouldn't forget that. Well, let's look into that. I mean, this is a source of, of controversy, and it is a frequently asked question, what, what's with Mary? What, if things worked out so badly for them, why did Lincoln, who was such a shrewd judge of character, marry her in the first place? Well, um, one knowledgeable Lincoln scholar, Dr. Wayne Temple uh, of the Illinois State Archives, speculated in the book that he published uh, 11 years ago that uh, Mary Lincoln, Mary Todd, then seduced Abraham and told him the next day, in effect, uh, you must marry me to save my honor. Uh, the, the evidence for that uh, is not uh, overwhelming, but if you accept that hypothesis, which Dr. Temple made in a kind of passing remark in a book about Lincoln's religion, if you accept that hypothesis, then it answers a number of questions about the Lincoln marriage, which otherwise are inexplicable. For example, 
Why did they get married on one day's notice? Mary Lincoln's eldest sister, Elizabeth, had moved to Springfield with her husband, who was the son of the former governor of the state of Illinois. And there she brought her sisters, one by one, up from Kentucky, introduced them to Springfield society. Uh, when they got married, then the sister Elizabeth threw a big wedding. And that happened for the sisters, all the sisters except Mary. And Mary got wed on one day's notice. And why was that? Well, that was a mystery that occurred to me that I didn't know the answer to until I read Dr. Temple's book. And then a number of sources indicate that Lincoln told them that he didn't love Mary Todd enough to marry her. So why would he marry her? In addition, the first child, Robert, arrives eight months, three weeks, and four days after the wedding. When Lincoln was en route to the wedding ceremony, he was asked, where are you going? And he said, to hell, I guess. Now, all those things are peculiar, and if you add them all up, the only solution, I think, that makes sense out of all those facets of the, the wedding is that Lincoln was uh, inveigled or forced into marrying her. And he did. He says at one point to one of his friends that he was forced into marrying her. Well, let me push back on a couple of those. The the comment, where are you going? And he says, well, to hell, I reckon. Um, I, I suppose uh, I can't comment on that uh, on the, with the possibility that my wife is listening to the show. <laughs> Careful. Uh, but you know, it's one of those. It could just be one of those Lincolnisms. That's true. Uh, but, but but a bigger way to look at it. A bigger problem, I guess, with, with that argument to me is the one day's notice story doesn't re, doesn't imply necessarily the the forced marriage because if uh, let let's say that Robert is indeed the result of of uh, this seduction and will appear eight and a half months after the marriage. Still, there's plenty of time uh, to arrange uh, the ceremony. It could be held in, in in a week or a month or two months without any significant chance that that this is going to be a problem. I suppose if it's two months, then I guess Robert will show up, and that will be a problem. Right, but even if it's even if it's a month, my, my hunch is that she tells him the next day, "Listen, you've got to marry me right away because if we delay, if we wait till the rabbit dies." Um, that is to see whether I'm really pregnant or not, uh, then it'll be too late for... If if the baby is then born too soon after right. the marriage. Right. I, so yeah, I you better marry me right away in order to make it look uh, on the up and up. Right. So it's legit. Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's certainly a plausible argument there. That's, that's related to, but different from Douglas Wilson's argument that it was... Lincoln's honor that was at, at, at stake, not not Mary's honor, but Lincoln's Lincoln felt he had already promised to marry Mary Todd and right. had broken and, that and, promise. And Doug's right. Douglas Wilson is, is, I think, right in that Mary knew that Lincoln felt terribly guilty about having broken the engagement that he had apparently contracted to marry her from 18 months earlier than the, the actual wedding. Um, it was more than 18 months, almost two years. Um, and uh, his conscience was bothering him. But he couldn't marry her because, having gotten engaged to her, he then fell head over heels in love with a beautiful 18-year-old. He was then 30 or so. Um, 
and all red-blooded American males in Springfield had fallen in love with this beauty, Matilda Edwards. And he was so shy, he didn't make his feelings known to Miss Edwards. But I, he said to himself, I feel so strongly an attachment to Matilda Edwards that I can't really go through with a marriage to Mary Todd. I can't, my heart belongs to this other person. I can't win in good conscience Mary Todd. So he breaks the engagement out of a sense of, of honor. But then, he, and then his sense of honor also dictates that he feels guilty about it. She knows that. And so I think she takes advantage of his hypersensitive sense of honor. So it was to protect his honor or to, uh, to reinforce his sense of his own honorableness that he does go through with the wedding in part, and then it's also to protect her honor by uh, helping to make it seem as though there was no premarital sex. The, the uh, Matilda Edwards story is has been told not all historians accept that that uh, on the basis of the the one source that, that necessarily that is the case but there is evidence for it certainly oh well there's there's plenty of sor- uh, sources i've discovered so the 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 uh, biographers of mary todd lincoln who dismissed that story out of hand didn't see a lot of the evidence that i've seen um particularly the, uh, an interview with orville hickman browning who was one of lincoln's best friends um that John G. Nicolay had conducted 10 years after Lincoln's assassination. And in that interview, uh, which appears in a, a little book that I edited called An Oral History of Abraham Lincoln, he says that the Lincoln had fallen head and over heels with Matilda, in love with head, uh, Matilda Edwards, uh, and then the whole story I just gave you was, was corroborated by Browning. And then there are a number of other people who testify to Ida Tarbell, uh, one of the early Lincoln biographers, uh, to the same effect, and a lot of that information is in the Tarbell Papers at Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania, which, which historians have, have underutilized. Well, this really brings us to what what you have made a a career, a, a reputation for yourself doing, which is finding uh, resources that other historians have not looked at in detail. How does that happen, that, that something is, as useful as the Tarbell Papers gets overlooked? Well, it's, uh, it surprised me. The, when, when I drafted my book, The Inner World of Abraham Lincoln, which appeared 12 years ago, um, I used published sources primarily because I thought everything that was important about what Lincoln did or said or was said about him had long since been unearthed and published and was available in a book or article format. So I drafted the book based on those sources. Then I thought, well... Now I'll go out and just see in case there is some important new factual data that uh, hasn't been unearthed. Um, and the first day I undertook that, I went to Brown University, which is only about an hour from where I was teaching in New London, Connecticut. And within 15 minutes of arriving at Brown, I discovered in their beautifully indexed collection of John Hay papers a series of interviews that have been conducted by Hayes' co-author and co-secretary in Lincoln's White House. Um, uh, Nicolay had conducted with people who had known Lincoln. And I, so I looked at those interviews, and kaboom! I discovered this Browning interview that I just mentioned, and several others which were uh, fascinating. And I thought, wow, this is, this is uh, a technique that I should use with other early biographers. Uh, because Nicolay and Hay didn't use all of the information or much of the information that they had accumulated 
in their interviews. Um, that because they well, think I'm, that it's human memory. I'm going to step in just for a moment because the music tells us we need to take a short break. But we're going to come back and pursue this point of hidden sources about Abraham Lincoln when we return in just a moment with Michael Burlingame on Civil War Talk Radio.